1: because this is important in defining who the neighbor is and who are we to love like ourselves. If if we're a people of God and we're called to love God and we're called to love people, we're called to love our neighbor, well, what does that mean? Does that mean the guy that lives right next door to me? Does that mean the guy that lives right across the street? from? Yeah, that includes them. But that's not what Jesus was getting at here. In Luke chapter 10, Let's begin reading in verse 25, and I'm not going to unpack this. I want you to see it for what it is. And behold, a lawyer stood up, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? I love that Jesus always asks questions when they ask questions so that they can answer it. There's some about being asked a question than then answering it yourself, especially when it comes... To the scriptures in verse 27, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your didn't Jesus just say that? (laughs) We read that in Mark 12, right? This guy repeated exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. He knew the answer. And I could see Jesus right now. He said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And I can imagine this dead silence right then. Jesus just looking at the guy. Piercing eyes, looking straight into his soul. And then after the silence, he couldn't handle it anymore. It says this, but he desiring to justify himself. Who tries to justify themselves? People who are met, have you ever had a conversation with your child and they tried to justify themselves? <laughs> yeah. You knew they were wrong before they even started, didn't you? But man, they got to alleviate their own conscience. They got to alleviate their own guilt, so they're gonna be like a lawyer and justify himself. Him, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" He knew. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There's a religious dude. Sees a guy. Come from the temple, probably, and he sees a guy. Laying there, needy, hurting, just got out of church. Had a bumper sticker that said, I love Jesus. (laughs) So likewise, a Levite. A Levite. These these were the leaders, man. If your last name is Levine, or Levy, or Levi Straw, you're a descendant of the priests. Ones who were determined to be the priests. They held a special... Position. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he helped him, didn't he? No, he didn't. He passed by on the other side. His bumper sticker didn't say, I love Jesus. His bumper sticker said, honk if you love Jesus. <laughs> but a Samaritan, the very people the Jews hated, And despised. Because when Assyria took out Israel in 722 B.C. They hauled the Jews away to their homeland. But they left enough there with their own people. And started to populate the area with Assyrians and Jews. Coming up with what the Jews despised is not purebreds but half-breeds. And that's why it was significant that Jesus saw the woman at the well in Samaria. Because Jews just did not talk to Samaritans. You think racism is alive and well in this world? It was back then. Hating a person for their ethnicity. No control over their birth. No control over their hair color. No control over their eye color. They were just brought into this world. Special ethnicity or an ethnicity of a certain kind. And Samaritan, as he journeyed, and this is why Jesus uses the parable of the good Samaritan, because he's going to really throw it in this guy's face, because this guy would never see a Samaritan as his neighbor. He would never love on a Samaritan. He would never help a Samaritan. If he saw a Samaritan bleeding on the road, he truly would pass by no matter how religious he was. He journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Here's a here's a Samaritan. Without no hatred, but compassion, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Look at this. He's giving him time. He's giving him resources. He's saying, man, I want to see this guy made whole once again. I want to see him bound up. I want to see his life back. I want to see him give him back to his family. I want to see him carry on with his career or whatever he did. And I'm going to make sure that happens. So he gives up his own resources. He said, look, get into my car. Something a Jew would have never said to a Samaritan. Sorry, I got luggage in my car. I couldn't carry you. Can't pick you up. (laughs) And look at verse 35. And the next day he took took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay. And when I come back... Now watch this. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This is in response to the Jewish expert of God's word fell among the robbers, and look at his answer. He can't even say Samaritan. He said, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Couldn't even say the Samaritan. (laughs) Couldn't even say it wasn't the Levite. It wasn't the priest. It was the Samaritan. He says it was the one who showed him compassion. That's how hard it was. And that's how deep the divide was between Jews and Samaritans. But the point of the story is this. The one who's the neighbor is not the most expedient to us. It is the one who is most needful of us. Doesn't matter color skin. Doesn't matter what they came from. Doesn't matter if they're on drugs. Doesn't matter they just like Chrissy's testimony there. On heroin, lost her children and everything else. And God's now restoring that. Most Christians would judge that. But God loves people. He loves them. And He wants their lives made whole. This is why we want our church to. Be more involved in the foster care system. The over and over again in the scriptures, you see the most needful people are the widows and the orphans. Widows do okay in our culture, but not orphans. Orphans' lives get train wrecked. They're house to house and never understood love and security like our own children did. And they're the most needful. They're the weakest. They're the ones who have to fend for themselves. And so our neighbor. This is what I love about, I I was excited to hear out of the person's own mouth about a member in our congregation. A member in our congregation who's a part of the Brawley Police Department. And he comes across a car, and there's a man sleeping in the car. He's homeless with three children. And instead of the police officer saying, look, you need to move on or I'm going to have to arrest you, He looked at him, looked at his condition, heard his story and said, look, I'm going to put you up in a hotel for a week and I'm going to pay for a week's worth of food for you and your entire family. That was the dude on the road here in in Luke 10. That was the guy on the road. Wasn't homeless because of drugs. Wasn't homeless because there were circumstances in his life. And that brings joy to my heart to know that people in our congregation that have careers out there see exactly what Luke 10 is saying. We don't always exercise the letter of the law. We exercise the spirit of the law. Huge for a congregation to love the neighbor, those outside the church, the ones who are most needful, not because they can get us anywhere. Not because they have anything to offer us; they have absolutely nothing to offer. That's what this. What was this bloody guy going to do? He didn't have any money. He got robbed. He's bleeding to death. He's going to bleed out if something doesn't happen, and he doesn't have a house to give the guy. Probably, he just this good Samaritan says, "Man, you cannot give me anything in return, but that's okay. I'm taking you, and I'm going to bind you up." So we love our neighbor. We love each other, though, too. We love each other. Where is the love in the church today? John 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Those one another's in the New Testament are speaking of believers in the church. As I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. All will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, and that to me seems to be the greatest testimony to the world is the love we share as believers. The church is not a building we go to on Sunday mornings. and It's not an organization that is rigid. It is a living organism where God's love is the glue that sets it apart from the rest of the world. Amen. And every other human institution that ever exists. The Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial to the manifestation of this kind of love. For we know that the love of God, Romans 5, 5, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And listen to Colossians 3, 14. And above all these, he listed a a group of virtues, and he then says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't understand it. why there's so many schisms in the church sometimes, you guys. Love should prevail. Amen. If you got something with somebody, if you've got a beef, quit getting political and gathering up a party and stating your case to that party. Jesus says, go to that person. Go to that person and tell them, you offended me. And I want you to know I forgive you. This is how relationships are made whole. The worst thing that a church could ever do is start schisms. It's the thing, Paul says, that binds us together love. It's the glue. Church is a place where people come as they are. Do you realize that? We can no longer just tout that the church is a hospital. We can't do that we like it because it sounds good but then when you say the church is a hospital let me tell you some people are going to come into the church with messed up lives hey i heard you were a hospital yeah you heard right and then their lives are such a mess you run the other way the other day i ended up at the er in brawley Saturday I was in the ER, I I had a viral infection. (coughs) I'm sorry, it's gone. But I had a viral infection. I want to see if he loves me. (laughs) Or if he's going to leave the church now. But the thing is that I ended up in the ER and it was really cool. It was God. (laughs) It was God because the RN who took care of me is a guy who comes to church here that I've never met before. His wife are RNs. they got a three-and-a-half-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. And so it was really cool getting to know him. And I thought, man, you know, this is great. I get to hear a little bit about his life, about his story. And when he, I first encountered him in the ER when they brought me back to the room and I met him, he says, Pastor Colas, you don't look good. And that's when I said, do I know you? <laughs> but what if he would have said this? Pastor Colas, you don't look good. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> what? I thought you were hospital. Yeah, but I'm going to have to hook an IV up to you. I'm going to have to draw blood. I'm going to have to take chest x-rays. And to be honest, Pastor Colas, it's going to be a hassle. Why don't you just leave? That's not what ERs do. And that's what we're not supposed to do as a church. Jesus says it's the sick that need a doctor, not the well. And so we're going to have sick people coming into the church. And i got to be honest with you guys. We are a high-maintenance church. <laughs> Especially Josh. No, I'm just seeing if you love me. Um, so the thing is this. that Why does the church... When somebody comes to get their life together, why do they judge them? I was with some missionaries on Friday night, and, and he used to be a pastor of a church in Florida 13 years, and he told me, he said, Walter, that church, no, his wife told me, it wasn't him, it was his wife told me, he said, Walter, that church had more Pharisees than you could ever imagine, especially in the leadership. I mean, what does a Chrissy do who has a heroin problem? Do we judge people and say, you know, your own decisions got you where you are? You deserve that. Don't come to church here. You're just going to be a hassle. Well, you better start with me. Because that's where I was at. Strung out on heroin, no place to turn, and the church loved me. And that's what we're supposed to do. To love those who come through the doors. We all judge with limited knowledge. We live in a world now that is so messed up and so tore up with broken homes and abuse going on with children and their brains are receiving so much trauma and they've been so wired in the wrong direction and when they come to church, this should be the place where they can be bound up like the Good Samaritan bringing in that guy bleeding to death and bound up and then they get rewired. Do you understand that? And just to clarify, New Creations, I'm not speaking about crystal meth. Not that kind of wiring. Okay. <laughs> got to clarify those things. Sometimes I said, "Man, Paul got stoned. You know, when he was in Lycus, he got stoned. They threw rocks, and I found myself new creations. That meant they threw rocks at him. Paul was not smoking dope. So the thing is that the thing is that that um, where was I <laughs> No, not stoned. Wired. Oh, thank you. The rewiring. Is that not what Paul meant in Romans 12? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, even though somebody gets saved, and even though we begin to pour our lives into them, the reason they're high maintenance at first is because their brains have not been rewired by God's word yet. But they start getting into God's Word and they start thinking different. They start talking different. That's why we bring them to the Word. It's power in the Word. i got to move on. Love your city. Love your city. This is so important and so crucial as a church when we talk about the vision of Christ communion church to love our city. Turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 if you can, quickly. Isaiah, Jeremiah 29 29 Isaiah 29 hashtag vision. Ooh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> Jeremiah 29. hashtag vision. Okay. 29. Let's read this real quick because we got to move kind of fast. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And here's what it says. This is important. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles from whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's hand was in this. They were under the disciplinary hand of God. They went into captivity. Babylon, the world power at the time, took them in. Um, this was the southern kingdom. Build houses. Look at this instructions. This is what God is saying. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, here's what God's saying. I've taken you into a foreign land that has a very different value system than you do. They didn't have God's word. And even though they were disobedient to God, one thing the Babylonian captivity did, it made them monotheistic again they didn't go back to other gods they may turn from god but they never had multiple gods after that so here they are there's a very different value system than you have they raise their children different they do not believe in the true and living god they have multiple gods but here's what i want you to do i want you to build houses and i want you to plant gardens in need of the pro in other words i want you to make a life there in the midst of this pagan culture, I want you to make a life there. And then look what it says. It says, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is what loving the city is. It's not saying, man, I'm going to move into the middle. I'm going to go to Black Mountain. Black Mountain. Because there's no people there and they won't influence me in a bad way. And every now and then a deer comes by and I can shoot it for food. And I'm bringing my family there. God never says that. God loves the cities. God wants his people in the cities. Populating the cities. Raising their children different than the value system of the world. And showing them God's light. And that's what we're to do as a church. We are to do... Exactly what the Lord was instructing His people in Babylon. And Christ Community Church, honestly, has been on loving our city. We've seen it played out in ministries such as New Creations, Ameris Ministries, Kwam Kitchen with a Mission, giving of food to those in need. So I drove by and sure enough, they were handing out food again to the community because there's a lot of them that are on food stamps. There's a lot of people unemployed right now, but we've been faithful in giving out food to the community. The well where people can come and get clothes that don't have clothes in the community, that just don't have the clothes you and I have. This is why when Brian Melvin was asked by probation department if he would start anger management, that he went out and he got licensed. And he got other people licensed. And he ended up implementing a Christ-centered anger management program and now it's the biggest in the valley. There's over 125 people enrolled in a Christ centered anger management that they're court ordered to for 52 weeks to hear about Jesus. You know, those are, that's loving our city. That's loving our city. Sibia runs the women's anger management. I know there's like three ladies that were in her anger management that are now attending church here faithfully. This is what it is. We don't turn on the city and we don't get mad at the city and angry at the city we pray to the lord on behalf of the city like they were instructed to do and then we say what does god want me to do
0: thanks for tuning in for love live lead the broadcast ministry of christ community church in imperial valley christ community church has campuses in el centro calexico and brawley with services in english and in spanish your kids are going to love our kids church Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.